Hello and welcome to the Me and My Golf podcast. We're your hosts and PGA golf coaches, Piers Ward and Andy Proudman. Each week we're going to share with you our 20 plus years of coaching experience to bring you top tips, the latest information and trends, along with some of the world's best in the golf industry to help you play the best golf of your life. So what are we waiting for? Let's get to it and help you take charge of your game. This is episode 26 of the Me and My Golf podcast, and in today's show, we sit down with fellow PGA golf coach, Mark Blackburn. Now, Mark is actually uh, an English guy who's now the director of instruction at Greystone Golf Club in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, we actually sat down with Mark at the World Golf Fitness Summit to really talk about his philosophy on coaching. Now, he's worked with numerous tour players. His current sort of roster is uh, Chez Reeve, Mike Weir, Sean O'Hare, to name a few. But he's also worked with people like Kevin Chappell, Smiley Kuffman, um, Y.E. Yang, Robert Carson, Boo Weekly. So he's worked with some of the, the best players in the world, really. And his philosophy is very much he works with the individual. So he understands what they can physically do, what they want out of their game, and then works around that. And I think that's refreshing in the golf industry that he's not trying to get everybody to swing a certain way. And I think that's very appropriate, the World Golf Fitness Summit, where you're, you're really understanding what the body and the mind can do. So this is a really interesting chat about his coaching, about his philosophy, about what he's done on tour with some of his players, and we know you're going to enjoy this one. So let's welcome Mark to the show. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, we're here at the World Golf Fitness Summit, and it's great to get together with, we're just talking sort of off air, that it's always good to get together with people who really care about helping golfers and trying to make a difference in the world. And um, it was interesting on stage last night listening to yourself, Claude and, uh, and Dave Phillips, talking about your approach to uh, your tour players and obviously very different types of players on stage that you were talking about last night. Um, but I think it's great. It's a great message to get out to a lot of our listeners. And what we often get from, from our followers online is, is they often send us videos of their golf swing and say, what do I need to improve? But they send us just a picture or a video of their golf swing without any details of ball flight, what they're struggling with. And often people get so obsessed with trying to make the golf swing look good yep. instead of actually what actually works. And obviously you guys talking last night, it was very different in terms of your approach is working with the golfer, what they can physically do. And rather than trying to make a golf swing look technically perfect if that makes sense yeah no totally so just talk a little bit about your approach and what we talked about what you talked about last night on stage so I think um, everybody that comes to you is always wanting to improve right and I think that the way to look at it the first thing I always ask someone is what do you want the golf ball to do so if someone wants to draw the ball or fade the ball do the things that they do inherently help or hinder them they're going to do one of the one of those and so from there once you've figured out okay well you do this well but what else can you actually physically do that's going to help you draw the ball or fade the ball based on the outcome they want and then from there you're always just trying to build more of the things in that will produce a positive outcome and get rid of the things that may hinder the outcome and it's as simple as that and I think most of the time if we take the generation we all grew up in which is lead stuff we're looking with a video camera and drawing lines and it having to be perfect we all had this sort of perception of a, what golf perfection should look like and the reality is now 
is if you took, put a black curtain down and you had people hit from behind the curtain, what you really care about is what the ball does. And so the, the technology that's around now has allowed us to see, hey, there's an infinite number of ways to have great outcomes. And it's now understanding the different variables that go into that, getting someone to be able to use what they've got. And a lot of times if you manage the movements they have as opposed to change things, they tend to have more favorable outcomes more often. And that's what, that's what it's all about. Like, and I know there's a lot of people describe matching movements, but at the end of the day, you're predisposed to certain movement patterns. You can either accommodate them or you can fight them. And it's all really about the individual and them actually taking ownership. At the end of the day, you're trying to empower them to be successful, but they've got to take ownership of, okay, this is what I do. I'm comfortable in my own skin. This is, this is my golf game, as opposed to, well, I need to do this or I need to do that. Because then if you're always wanting to change or do something, you never have any mastery of what you actually do yourself. And at the end of the day, golf is about, can you have positive outcomes more often than not. So I always tell everyone 80-20 rule. If you can do it 80% of the time, you can be really good. Because the leader in greens and regulation isn't close to 80%, and the leader in fairways hit isn't close to 80%. So if you can do it about 80% of the time in practice, there's a favorable chance you're gonna be pretty good when you go to the golf course and you play. And I think the players I've worked with over the years have never had the same swing. I don't teach a model, I never have. But they've all done things that are uniquely them, that for them, that make them really good, like their, their own superpower, so to speak. And I think the average golfer can embrace that as well. If you're a guy that comes way over the top, are you really gonna do all the work necessary to stop coming over the top? Or can you accommodate coming over the top with aiming differently and all these other things? Was we see people, if you play in a scramble or you're out at a company day and somebody's got this, this massive slice and then they might be aiming way left to accommodate it and then someone will go oh you're aiming too far left and now they aim straight and now they hit it in the trees on the right like there's you just everybody has this perception of it it needs to be perfect straight square look and it's like that's just not the nature of it the best players I see don't I mean some players do some amazing things Daniel Berger's a great study like the way Berger plays golf how open he is the way the shots that he hits but he hits this little bleed cut all the time put the ball in play he does it really really well Trevino played golf a little bit like that you don't have to do that but a lot of people do like I mean there's different ways to get it done and it's embrace what you do what's the shot you want to hit okay do we have more things that help you hit that shot or more things that hinder you from that shot and I, that's the way I always try and bring it all back to ball, the ball flyer and I look at golf as you've got when you first start playing golf you've got like swing centric everything is about I gotta learn a swing that's okay but that doesn't really help you play the game then you've got like shot centric where you start to like hit shots and then ultimately you get to like score centric and my sort of mindset now and everything is it's all about scoring at the end of the day I don't care how you do it it's what's the lowest score that you can possibly shoot and how do you post that score? And If you use the analogy of restaurants and, and food, there's great Mexican restaurants, there's great Chinese restaurants, there's great Mediterranean restaurants. The ingredients that go into those dishes or that, that food is, some may be similar, but sometimes they're also very different, but they all taste good. The problem you have is if you use an ingredient from something with something else and now these things don't work and I think that's the problem people have is they start trying to look at all these other things as opposed to okay let's just do this well and what are the ingredients that go into me playing well? Am I someone that smashes it or am I someone that hits it straight? Am I someone that 
putts it really well or someone that chips it well or am I a good wedge player, am I a good mid-iron player, am I a bad fairway wood player, like figure out what it is and then play to those strengths not trying, we're always trying to be like better as opposed to how do I use what I've got well already and I think that that's the big difference between great players, they never put themselves in a situation that magnifies their weakness, they try and exaggerate their strengths. So it's, in, it's interesting isn't it because obviously you're dealing with these great players so, and I'm assuming that a lot of the players that you've, you've that have come to over the years have been through referrals, obviously, because someone else has played well. But is it because someone else has played well or is it because of your approach? So when they come to you, basically, what I'm saying is, are they coming to you because of the, the fact that you're against success or how you deal with those players? I think that's a great question. I think, obviously, the best advertising is word of mouth, right? And you're only, as you coach tour players, and you guys know coach players, you're only as good as the players you coach. But the question is, do the players you coach get better because of the information you give them? So I like to take projects on, so guys that are struggling or girls that are tr they have great ambition, they've got great work ethic, but they've got something missing. And I would say that it's a combination of both things. Is it, is it the, the, what you do or the way that you do it? And I think that um, I certainly, when I first started, I was definitely someone that was very much into the technique um, and I was very... Technique very based, sorry, technique mechanical. based around swing or yes. based around numbers from I would say a, a based around, um, well, I've been doing it before numbers and science. So. <laughs> well, he's the expansive young fellow. He's a whippersnapper. So, so um, you know, when we first started, we didn't have TrackMan. Now, so you looked at stuff on video and some of the concepts that I would give people are now, I would consider horrific. However, certain people responded favorably to those to that information. Technology was also different in the early 2000s. The golf ball was different. Driver technology was different. So you could do different things. Speed wasn't such a must, you know, it wasn't a distance game as much. So you could get away with certain concepts that you'd have. And so I had success. Now, whether that was luck or whether that was the right student and the information which may have had some flaws in it, or not intentionally flawed, but you know, didn't, didn't know quite what we know now, um, they had success and so once you have success then you get other players and then you learn more as you go right you, you figure out better ways to do it and I think great coaches are great uh, they're chameleons you have the ability to change adapt and give and give different information and so I would think that what brings players to you is you have success you have success with people who have what I would call unique technique like some guys are really like they technically looks pretty good, some guys don't, but if you look at their stats, their ball striking stats all improve. And I would say that was where, that early on I got, I had a good reputation as well, his guys hit it really good. Yeah. And girls, and so, so that kind of sells itself, right? Because it becomes more about, okay, well if you want to hit it better and my ball striking is bad, I'm gonna go see that person. Well, he's good at doing that and the players he's got uh, helped him. Yeah. I think it was, in, it was interesting in your, your talk yesterday about one of your players, uh, Ches Reevey, how we saw his swing on video and you were saying, look, it's not necessarily uh, the, let's say the prettiest golf swing, he's got some unique moves in his golf swing, but it takes a lot of um, courage and discipline to not actually mess with it, doesn't it? You've got to be very strong to say, well, actually, it doesn't necessarily look technically right, but that comes down again to you sort of 
understanding what's going to work for him based on what he needs, doesn't it? I mean, you can look at his goal string and you can say, okay, technically he could do with doing this and this, and if, if he went to another golf coach, they'd automatically look at his swing instead of his game a lot of the time and be tempted to say, okay, yeah, I'd do this and this and this, not really knowing the sort of the, the needs for him and how he performs doing what he's doing. And I think that's what I liked about that last night. He's got a golf swing that doesn't necessarily look technically right, but you haven't messed with it because it works and you understand him as a person and what his wants are. And I think that's a, a really good thing for the guys at home to think about. If they've got a, a funky-looking golf swing, don't go and change it just because it doesn't actually fit the bill in terms of a technically sound-looking golf swing. No, 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 yeah, for sure. And I think it's one of those things, when you look at that, you guys are super smart, and so if we all look at the, the takeaway from that golf swing, the backswing, and the transition, transition's pretty good. Those pieces, though, we look at, we might say, oh, that's kind of funky, but if we get that down to where it's like hip high in the downswing and you want to draw it, and the club's behind the hands, and it swings beautifully inside to out, you're like, okay, well, that's really good. So I always say, I've never seen a backswing hit a golf shot. Now, they're great loading actions and they can have a huge impact, but I see so many players now where they've got all this funky stuff going on and then you get it like halfway down and it's like, oh, it's really good. And they, they deliver the club the same on track, man. It's like, okay, wait a minute, the impact and the delivery is like, oh, I've, there's 40 shots and they're all within a really small tolerance. It's like, that's pretty damn good. And then as soon as you give them something that look, might look pretty on the way back, that's really great, that's great. Now all of a sudden that totally jeopardizes what they do really well in the downswing and it's like, oh shit, that's terrible. And that, that's the, the tough part is to have the confidence to tell the player, look, I understand you don't like the look of that. Hey, when it gets back here, I need to keep, keep the club online, I need to do this. And I'm like, but, but hold on a minute, we've done that before. And you you find it really hard to control where the club face is. And so it's all about where do you, where do you deliver the club from and, and what works well. And that, that's the tough part. It's like, if you're confident, and the technology's awesome, right? Because technology shows you what they're actually doing. So if you like, well, you're doing the same thing every time and it's giving you a good outcome, what it looks like doesn't matter. That's the really hard part. And going back to like growing up in the video age of you gotta be perfect, you can't, oh, you can't play golf like that, you need to stay on the range until it's perfect, it's like, it's just, it's not like that. Well, the hard part is though as well, isn't it? Because you, you, obviously in your workplace, there are lots of other competitors to you. Correct. A lot, of, yeah. a lot of guys out there are coaching. And as soon as Ches has a bad day and you're not there, he, he could easily just look up at the guy next to him who's ripping it and look at his coach and go, just have a quick look at that, will you? 100%. And then he says, well, why don't you try this? And then the, the thing that the, the obviously issue with that is that coach won't know the history of that player won't know why you do what you do with him but this is where your relationship with the player has to be strong so that the player can totally trust in what you're saying so you have to have full disclosure in what you're giving him as well because if he has any sort of he has any doubt at all in what you are doing and he starts hitting a few bad shots that coach can come in and you can be moved out quite easily and I think that's something that's I suppose that's down to your role to, to create that relationship with the player, isn't it? Yeah, I 100% agree with you. So and sorry, and, and this is the same, I think, for club golfers as well. Totally. I think the club golfers have to absolutely get that relationship with their coach as well. Yeah, I think that a couple of things that are really great now is because of technology, you're, you need to be very transparent to your point. Like, you have to be like, all your cards are on the table. You can't but, fake it now, can you? But here's, <laughs> even you can't. But the great thing about technology also is that 
If you're diligent and you have a coach that's diligent and they document things and they explain to you why you're doing it um, and this is the process, you have a recourse, right? So whilst I might tell one person one thing, I may tell the next person something completely opposite depending on what the outcome that they want is. The hard part is players don't always listen to what you're telling them or they may not hear it. So if you've like said, well look, the reason you do this is because of this, they may not take that information in and they may or they may interpret it differently that's why i think you have to be very diligent as a coach to document i use things like coach now um, to where I, I have all of the information it's essentially an athlete management system for a player but the tough part is when other coaches say always well why would mark tell you that or why would the coach do that or but what you don't understand is you never understand the context when something's been communicated and so you don't know and so for a play I'm always like this is what you do and why you do it and I mean it's like a broken record like I'm like adamant about continuously repeating it. and they're like yeah I know you said this and I'm like well you have to understand why I'm telling you to do that because if it goes sideways now you need to have a recourse of how to fix it and I'm always trying to give players their own toolkit right other sports you have it but golf I don't think we make them self-sufficient enough we give them a lesson and then they go away and then they come back when they're struggling it's not like okay what are the pieces that I need to be aware of whether it's my setup my backswing my downswing or the alignments of the club to, to be competent on my own and what are my indicators of okay this is a little off or I need to do this I try and give my players that sort of framework and blueprint so that if I'm not there they can avoid the whole oh stuff's going sideways so I need to go ask somebody else does that make sense and I think if you kind of create the framework of this wheel you're going to hit bad shots you're going to hit it badly but here's the solution and here's why sometimes that that becomes a much more powerful tool to them because they're like well I'm owning my own golf swing I get it I understand and I think when you build it around what they do versus a model let's say that becomes a lot easier because they're like oh yeah I do that that's what I do and that, that to me is a lot more repeatable which is what at the end of the day you never hit the same shot twice but you want to stay within your tolerance or your range so that you can deliver the club pretty consistently yeah and I think it's, it's interesting because I think um, you know empowering the golfer and just being able to help them understand their own game is, is massively important and I think when I say one of these listeners goes for a golf lesson I think it's important that they they're not afraid to ask the coach questions. So if they're going to make a change, so if let's say you know the coach is saying, "Well, I, I want to change this," they shouldn't be afraid to say, "Well, okay, well, why are we going to change this? What's it, what's it going to do for me?" Because if they just listen to his every word um, and don't necessarily get the let's say the the plan that he's got in his head for that for that person, then it's it's very hard for them to commit and understand when things are going wrong. So I think the questions that the guys are asked should ask is really key as well. Well, we, we do it, we, we back it up as well. I'll, I'll be in a lesson, I'll say, look, you, you know, do you, know, you want to know why you're doing this? And you know, you'll actually try and question them and see what they're willing to, to, to give back almost. And 100%, so. and I think that's massively important. And if you, if you start, again, when, when I, we started this and I said, I asked them what shot that they want to hit. Well, if, if you know that the draw is, is their shot, let's say, most of the time, you know that the ball position might be a little further back in the stance. They might get the club coming a little more inside. Like certain things are like, you can accommodate that. Now, if you know that they want to hit low pull fades, or well, hold on a minute, that 
there's certain things they know they're not going to do. So if I always give them the like, there's the outcome you want. If you start with the end in mind and work backwards, it's way easier because then they start to understand, okay, well I do that because of this and this is what I need to do. And most good players develop everything around the grip that they inherently use and how they deliver the club. And once you kind of match the other pieces to go with that, it's like, okay, I understand that. But it, it's most of the time, when one person on tour does something and they have success and, f and they tend to tribe together in groups players, right? They kind of stick with the guys that they grew up with or they went to college with. Like if one guy's having success, then you have to really navigate knowing what's going to happen and like kind of say, okay, this is what this person's working on. Hey, that's a pretty good match or that's probably not. But remember, this is what you do and why you do it. And a lot of times I'll be like, Oh man, that's really good. I, I like what that person's doing. Man, it's just it's so different to you. You just wouldn't be able to do that, right? So you put those little seeds in there so you, you kind of get rid of the opportunity for them to stop looking around and getting rabbit ears. I think an interesting point to, to discuss as well, talking about what, what golfers want. The majority of golfers who come to us, they're generally faders or slice of the golf ball yeah. and they always want to draw it. Um, but that, if for some reason they, they get into their mind that fading the golf ball is bad. So if somebody comes to you and says, look, I really want to draw the golf ball, and you, you've, you've screened them, you've looked at their golf swing, um, do you ever say to them, look, we're not going to get you drawing the golf ball, it's just going to be too difficult for you to do. Fading the golf ball seems to be a pretty good way of, of helping you hit the target in a consistent way. And, and if you've been faced with that, how do you deal with it? Because it's not what the golfer wants. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. So. So when we get back to like playing golf and scoring, the great thing about things like TrackMan and Foresight, like you can set up parameters to be like, okay, we're gonna get, we're gonna hit these ten shots. I want you to hit ten fades, and we're gonna hit ten draws or whatever. And you can show them, look, this is what you do. It's easier for you to fade it, or easier for you to draw it. Now, club golfers, I think, are always interesting because most of the time, their concepts are messed up in that where they don't aim properly and the simple things that make a, something that would be a fade turns into this massive slice, right? So if you can say, look, here's, here's why it slices and here's why a fade's really good, this is the way you can control the club and here's some ways to do it, it's like, oh, okay, now that kind of makes sense to me as opposed to, are you sure you want to draw it? Have you ever played a draw? Do you know how to, where to aim for a draw? Like if some guy's aimed down the left all the, his whole life and he's played a big slice, he wants to draw it and now he doesn't know where to aim the draw. So, yeah. so I always look at it, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. Yeah. So whilst it might seem really bad at the time, it not, isn't necessarily always better on the other side because I can tell you that big snap hooks are just as bad as big snap slices. They're, they're just as bad, right? And so it's most reason most people, we teach club golfers that slice it, to draw the ball, we teach them how to hook it so that we're hoping they can kind of hit it straight. But at the end of the day, I'd rather you have a shot than a dead straight ball, because a dead straight ball means you've got 50% chance of missing it left and 50% chance of missing it right, at least when it's got some shape on it. There's a reason good players want to shape the ball. They don't want to hit it dead straight. Yeah, it's a harder I mean, shot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very shot. challenging. I think it's hard to repeat it. Now, you can accommodate it, but I, I definitely think that as coaches, we're always trying to help people play better well it's like are you sure that that's going to help you play better and I think when it comes to like hitting shots and testing them I don't think we do a good enough job as a fraternity of coaches on actually making them hit golf shots getting them on the golf course let's see what you do on the golf course 
holy smokes, you aim, whoa, whoa, you tell me you aim over there? I'm like, dude, you, you gotta move, you gotta aim over here, really? Like, when you actually get them on the golf course, people who think they know what they're doing, they're completely blind. It's unbelievable, and that's, that's why it's just like, you start on a range and you kind of are a traditional golf lesson, but you gotta get them on the golf course. You got like your stuff, the brake 80, brake 9, those things, you, you don't do that on a driver range, you do it on a golf course. And most of the time people just don't need know how to use the skill set they've got, which leads to a whole multitude of like dispersion everywhere. It's, it's very, as you say there, it's, it's, I think there's so many golfers who don't get on the golf course. And even if you go to the range and have some lessons and work at your technique, great. But then get it onto the golf course quickly and find out what it can do. 100%. You know, can you use that technique on the golf course? Or can you even continue to work at that technique on the golf course? It's obviously huge. It's obviously huge. Now, obviously, we're at the World Golf Fitness Summit. There's a lot of medical guys here, there's a lot of fitness guys here, you know, guys here that are probably a lot cleverer than the three of us, <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And the, we've obviously, you know, Greg and Dave have been massive to us and to yourself, but when it comes to health, physical literacy, screening, what, what are you, when you're working with someone, especially for the first time, yep. what do you do? Do you just watch them hit golf balls or do no, you go no, into No, 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 no. So the, so the first time... Of course time, I knew that. I'm going to get you yeah, talking about no, that. No, 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 no. So I would say, um, but the first time someone comes to see me, like, I, I don't do our lessons anymore. Like, for someone I meet the first time, they've got to come for, like, two to three hours minimum. So first off, that tells me that they're actually committed to what I want them to, like, buying into it but then also allows me enough time because the first thing is just like baseline testing. So I'll do a physical screen, I'll um, run them through some power tests, I'll take 3D, I'll take uh, like a sample of shots. Usually, typically it's a pitching wedge, an eight iron, a six iron, a four iron, a three wood and a driver and I'll make them hit five shots with each, generally at the same sort of target. Then I'll hit some random targets. Um, Depending on whether they, if it's short game, then I'm going to take them through a bunch of like random strokes game based drills, see how they do, um, starting with short putts all the way to long putts. Um, so skill challenges, effectively. Yeah, skill yeah. challenges, just, just to see what they yeah. do. Because when a lot of good players come to see you, they have a very skewed idea of what they do. And club golfers have a really, really skewed idea of what they do. And so you've got to see where they're at. But I would say I'm very diligent on what I do on the front end because all that does is give me a really good snapshot of what they're actually doing. And a lot of times I'll take folks on the golf course for like two or three holes. So I'm really fortunate in Birmingham at Greystone where, where our performance center is. I'll go out on the golf course, with a, well, we'll do all that testing and then I'll just jump in my own car and I just take them out on the golf course for a three hole loop. One's a par four, a par three, and a par five. So I kind of get an idea of what they do. And then, then, I, then I'm like, okay, well, here's what we see and here's what you're doing. And that then they can't argue with that because you've now got a really nice like chunk of information and data to sift through to go, okay, well, here's what you're doing. And the, the better you do the front end work, the easier the rest of it is. Then they got the buy-in because most of the time they're like, wow, that's, it's a lot of information. I'm like, well, no, I'm trying to give you all this, take all this in so I can give you one or two things that will help you. And at the end of the day, you really get a good idea of where their weaknesses are. And a lot of people that come to you for a full swing lesson, their full swing's not their issue. They just can't chip and putt worth a hoot. And then, so it's, again, it's like, you any good out of a bunker? I mean, I'm looking at your stats and your bunker game's horrific, you know? And then, so it's just finding the, finding the little bit and explaining what they do well is usually, 
just hindered by what they're really bad at and you've people don't want to work on what they're not good at do they i mean you guys are you just you don't work so it's again then then the art is the communication and trying to reframe the the problem and like how do you sell it to them and at the end of the day we're all in sales you're trying to pitch someone to get them to bite to be able to commit to then to work on it but the, the front end I do the work on the front end to take the data in so that I can make a very simple diagnosis dumb it down for them but if I haven't done that I'm kind of guessing right and the technology we have now makes all that pretty streamlined and pretty easy it doesn't take that long to capture I can do all that in 90 minutes that's pretty cool. I mean, we didn't used to have the access to that. And if it's a, a junior or a um, what I would call a serious player, and they do track their own stats and they've got stuff on their phone and app where they track, then I just look at that and I'm like, okay, well here's here's your issue. Like, I mean, it's pretty objective. That's, that's, that's very that's very important, isn't it? The stats for sure. The, the analytical part of it, and the guys I work with on tour, all of them have statisticians, and so every week, like, it holds me accountable too as a coach. But you get to see where the where the holes are and what's good and what's bad, and it's like, man, your wedge game sucks. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, you were one of 11 up and down from 140 yards and in this week, and the winner beat you by five shots. Oh look, well there you go. You've just got 10 opportunities there that you could have. And so those are the things that for everybody is, you, we can when you can look at it and you can measure it. You're like, okay, well, here's the issue. No different to a doctor doing blood work, MRI, X-ray, yada, yada, yada. It's the same baseline to, to make sure that you are doing your due diligence. And it's not just you accountable, it's everyone accountable, isn't it? And the whole team, which is fantastic. You know, you, as soon as you start measuring things, you're actually exposing the weaknesses. And I think from, from, from guys who come and see us, and it's, it's amazing that you ask a player what he wants to work on or what he's struggling with, and then, as you mentioned, you take him out on the golf course, and it's often not the issue and I think for any of the listeners to this if you want to improve your game and not your golf swing you know get your coach to take you around the golf course and I'm sure he will um, that will expose your weaknesses to him and he's going to get a better understanding of your game as opposed to actually you just thinking you need a little bit of a a golf swing fix and I think it's a, it's a massive part really. It's interesting isn't it, we, get, we take people on the golf course and you don't say anything for like three holes and they're like, are you going to say anything? And it's like, well, you know, you just keep doing everything you, I want you to do and you know, it's and 100%. You, you just got to get that information in and it's so easy to, you know, stop them after one bad tee shot and say, right, you could do this, this, this and this. And then you need to get a full picture of what they're doing. But I think, you know, for people who, who are listening to this as well now, they need to be really, you need to really understand, you need to get as much information about your game as possible, whether it's stats, whether it's yes of course information on how efficient you are at striking the golf ball how good you are at getting up and down out of a bunker whatever it is you need to get as much information as you can so you then know what you're going to you should spend your time on and 100%. if you can say three parts of your game that you are the worst three parts of your game they're where you should be working yeah and, and i think the other thing that's, that's interesting is that when you start to look at what people are actually doing they they forget that remember Great golfers are great players. We all know plenty of people that have really pretty golf swings. They look amazing, but they have horrific club face control. Their distance control is a disaster. So now they don't know how far it's going or where it's going, but it looks real pretty on video. They're not great players. I got plenty of great players and it may look homemade. It may look Eamon Darcy, if listeners know. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but great club face control, great distance control, they're great players. And I think that's, I've got plenty of people I'm looking on the range and I know their resume and I'm like, 
this is not very impressive. I get on the golf course and I'm like, okay, his golf IQ is about 200. And I watch what they do and it's incredible. And that's the, that's the part that's really fun is when you get on the golf course, you get to see a lot of these sort of savant geniuses and you're like, oh man, that's really cool. And that's the key to it. Again, embrace playing the game. It's a game. And that's where people who've played other sports, I think are the competitive, do well at golf. And most people who haven't done that, that get into golf, are, always, are, are they're, they're the majority of our business. They're the guys and girls that need lots of lessons because in, inherently their perception is they have to have it right to be able to play, whereas good competitors, just give me something and I can get it around the golf course and I can go play. And I think that's what separates good athletes and people that are like competitive from the people who want to try and play golf. And if the guys who want to try and play and girls who want to try and play golf would just go play the game, like enjoy being on the golf course, like figure out how do I get it to go forwards and keep it inside the trees and not in the hazards. Oh, you know what? Oh, it's a bogey. Okay, I keep doing that. Oh, it's a par. Like all of a sudden, they, he's going to have way more fun as opposed to them overwhelming themselves with trying to make it all perfect. It just does, doesn't work. Don't, don't you think, though, when you say about these great competitors, how they, they're almost impervious to to what other people, <clears throat> sorry, to, to perceptions of what is a technically good golf swing, for instance, or things they should be doing. They know what they do well, and they go out there and they 100%, do it. 100%. And that yeah. is the, the, the key ingredient to success, really, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that lots of those people have feels and have ideas, and conceptually they may be completely wrong, but they work for them. And I think when you're coaching players, the thing is to find somebody who can paint pictures with their words who can take the information and make it very simple for you to be able to go play golf and I always create you can kind of create this vernacular between all your players you talk to them in a language this is the words that they use the feels that they have now someone listening in onto the conversation might be I can't believe Mark's telling him that I mean that's absolutely terrible really he's believed but that's feel versus real but that's the way good coaches communicate you, you take out complicated terms and I think that's what's important again getting back to well you want to play golf golf when we started the game it was communicated by great players great players communicated through feels so it was they could actually do it as well which is always pretty useful but they spent most of their time on the golf course with people they didn't spend it on a driver range because they didn't have driver ranges it's like you go out on the golf course and you see see one do one you know medical type model like see one do one teach one like hit the shots and watch people that's you get your people on the golf course so the most advice most useful advice for the club golfers is get to with someone who's going to take you on the golf course like it might seem crazy but do it, even if you're doing it in a group environment you need to get on the golf course with someone who's pretty competent about hitting shots like you guys do great demonstrations you've got good golf swings you you play golf you're active there's no point in going to take lessons from someone who can't play golf doesn't do any good that it makes no sense because there's you've got no empathy for the person who's trying to play golf if you don't do it yourself you've got to have that experience and that knowledge to sort of help shape them into their own thinking really as well and sort of show them show them the place 100 percent. just just to, i'm going to go back to this. I, I made a note in my phone going interesting because we we spoke to um we were looking up to speak to some of the best players in the world this last week on a tailor-made photo shoot and we they were very much talking about it's very much a power game now. You were saying about it being a power game, and when you were coaching in the early noughties, that it was, you know, it was a bit more on accuracy. 
We just had the Ryder Cup. Now, the whole big thing about this was that Thomas Bjorn was setting the golf course up to be like, to, to suit long irons into greens and long irons off tees, which is a strength of the European golfers, perhaps. So, here's my point I'm coming to. Would you say that the power game is more prevalent in the US than it is in Europe? Just for, even for the point of view that I know that when you're coaching guys out here, a lot of them are after power. We see people in the UK, they are after power, but we see a much more higher, they, they, they want to hit the ball straighter yep. a lot more than they want to hit it further. But we know that out here now, you look at college golfers, for instance, as well, who are smashing it in higher ball speeds than the US golfers have got. Um, you know, guys coming onto tour now with 130 mile per hour club head speeds. You know, is that is that a re is that something that we could actually tag back to that Ryder Cup? Do you think? I don't even. I'm, it's a great I, question. I, I so, note it down. so I would tell you that we're all a byproduct of our environment, right? We all adapt to where, to where we are. So if you look at the golf courses, I grew up at Betchworth Park in Surrey. It's a Parkland cult design golf course. It's really short in the summer. If you're hitting driver, you can drive a few of the par fours and I'm hitting sand wedges into lots of the holes. Back when I used to play golf and I could actually had some club head speed, I've got old now and I barely get about don't 116 miles an hour. But don't believe it. Anyway, How many miles an hour? <laughs> <laughs> not, very, not what it used to be. But So that golf course plays really, really short the summer. But there's a premium on hitting it straight. You've got out of bounds stakes everywhere. In the winter, when it's cold, those holes play a little bit longer, but you need to keep the ball in play and they actually have rough. US, big golf courses, much different environment. They're longer, they're bigger. Like, I tend to find there's less out of bounds. They're bigger, like old school golf courses, tree-lined. You need to smash it. The weather is different. It's generally a little bit warmer. The ball flies further. There's a, and the way golf courses are set up, green conditions of agronomies, in my opinion, far superior in North America than it is in Europe. Great. Better growing conditions, the climate's better, that, and people generally spend more money on golf courses and subscriptions and memberships, so you get better courses condition. I think that the greens are firmer, that warrants hitting it higher. I think the PGA Tour plays golf courses that set up very fast. Bombing it is a big advantage. And I think it's more of that you, you adapt to the course, whereas the courses in Europe, and on the, my time on the European tour, when I was coaching Robert Carlson back in the early 2000s to the, to the sort of mid, I would say that it's just different. Like the golf courses didn't warrant like just smashing it as far as you can. Like you had to keep the ball in play. Whereas in the US, there's certain golf courses, you don't need to smash it as much like Hilton Head, maybe golf courses like Tampa, um, but courses like Bay Hill, you just need to smash it. So if you look at the winners of the golf, it's horses for courses. I can tell you who's going to play well at certain golf courses and who isn't. If you're a guy that doesn't have a certain skill set, you better not play at Hilton Head. If you're a guy who doesn't have a certain skill set, you better not play um, big golf courses like Bay Hill, it's just it's, Houston, it's completely pointless. And so it's an understanding that, yes, the, the Ryder Cup, I think, you're smart if you're the home team. Lots of guys have played um, the golf course in Paris. Let's make it really tough, let's grow some rough up. Let's look at, I'm sure, Thomas, being Thomas, looked at the, some of the statistics of the US team. What are their strengths, what are their weaknesses? 
well let's make it to where we take driver out of play and if they do hit driver they better hit it straight or they're dropping a ball or they're in trouble we'll slow the greens down we'll, we'll do all these things and then you add wind to it now the other side of the court is when it goes to whistling straights there probably won't be much rough and the tees will be all the way back and it'll play really really long and it will be go the other side and it'll be oh america's figured it out <laughs> and then it'll go to italy and it'll be a short tight golf course yep. Oh, so you can't beat the Europeans in Europe. Did he say America were going to win the next one? Yeah, I don't know who said that. Did he say that? He's been here too long, hasn't he? I think that's the problem. I don't, I, but I'm going on like just like what's logic, right? Absolutely. And, and how, and how things happen. But I mean, the game in America is generally travels with weather. So it starts on the West Coast and it starts in Hawaii where it's warm. It starts on the West Coast. It's warm. It's kind of chilly in the morning. It moves to Florida when it's spring and it's warm. It then moves around to Texas when it starts to warm up. You're not playing in poor conditions, rarely. Now, Pebble Beach, usually every year it's bloody freezing and raining sideways, but that's another story. That's a, it's the unicorn tournament, but they're used to playing in these conditions where it's really warm, it's, the ball's gonna fly a long way, and the courses are set up for it. And that, I think that's why the power is such a, a big thing here, and it's a, technology's made it to where you can now swing as hard as you want and it's, the thing goes straight. If you go to the golf clubs that we played with, with persimmon clubs and then things like the TaylorMade burner, the original yeah, like yeah, yeah. burner plus, the thing that looks like flex the jazz. same <laughs> flexus jar, it looks the same size as my hybrid. Yeah. It's like, seriously, that was a driver. That had, in my opinion, required more skill. That's why I think the golf swings were a little bit different. They're a little bit more about like contact it wasn't a power game well now you make the golf ball go further you make clubs bigger you're just like it's a license to like swing as hard as you can of course it is and that's and and that, that, well, conditioning is better right like yeah. the stuff that we all know about and i see you guys working out doing your, your stuff like we just know what you should do to generate speed now and it's not hard it's like this is what you got to do if you want to do it and people are willing to do it it's like athletes evolve right it's just it's going to happen, it's evolution. Just bringing it back again to sort of, I suppose, TPI and, and World Golf Fitness Summit. Um, how important for the listeners who are playing on a weekly basis do you think it's important? How important do you think it is for them to, to really understand, if they're having coaching, to understand physically what they can do? And, you know, obviously you're screening your guys who are coming to see, to, see you. Um, how important do you think it is for them to understand? And then go and speak to their coach so they can work out that plan to get them better. Yeah, no, I think for the first thing, as we all age, we all muscles atrophy, especially if you don't use them. And at the end of the day, we lose mobility. And the single most important thing for most people is to maintain their mobility so they can actually move. Well, someone's asking you to do something and you can't move in that direction where well, you're gonna have a problem. I think competent coaches are aware of that and they develop golf swings around what someone can do. And I think there's so many wonderful PGA professionals in the UK, um, in Europe, in the US, that may not be known as, hey, this isn't a TPI professional or a fitness guy but, or girl, but they know how to give someone a golf swing based on what they can do. And I think that's really important. And if someone's giving you a golf lesson and they pull up a video of Tiger Woods in 2000 and they tell you, well, Tiger does this, is you need to do this, you should probably run out the door straight away. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. but. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's fair to say that you have to screen everybody 
to give anybody any help, but you, I think you have to have an idea of kind of what they do. I would certainly be a proponent of screening, but I also don't want to alienate and, and be negative towards instructors and coaches who I think are great, who have got the common sense and the fortitude to go, oh, this dude's thick-chested, big old beer belly, he ain't turning. Okay, well, what can I give him to do based on that? Oh, this lady, she turns way too much. She's super mobile, gloves all over the place. What, what can I do to shorten that up to make her put the club on the ball more consistently. I think there's loads of really good coaches that intuitively do that. So I, so I don't want to sort of bastardise and bash anyone, but at the same time, I do think if you're, if you're trying to get into the game and you're serious about it, and a lot of people start a sport and they want to get, go find somebody who really can assess what you do and move the way you move, because that's going to have a much better long-term success rate for you than than somebody that's hey you're just kind of eyeballing it but again it's experience I always tell people you pay peanuts you get monkeys so you've got to find somebody there's a good coaches and there's lots of them they may charge a little bit more but you're getting an expert and if you want to get good you need an expert opinion and a lot of times they're going to get rid of all the fluff and they're going to say okay well this is what you need to do if you're paying something for it, sometimes there's a bit more authority to that information, there's a bit more perceived value and you will listen. And the tough part is we all put great content out. You guys do some phenomenal stuff. People are going to look at that and think, oh, that's what I need to do. His nanny told me to do that. That's what i got to do. Well, if they can physically do it, wonderful. But if they can't, it may really cause them the right balls up, right? And, and that's the thing when you open up a golf magazine or you see... I always tell everyone that it, the tips aren't bad. It's, and it's whether the, the tip is your body's able to do it and whether it's something that's going to help you or it's going to hinder you and it's just just like anything go to a pharmacist or a chemist they got all these drugs you can take some drugs that'll be really good for you and you could take some and you're in dickie's meadow right if, 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 so that that's the tough part it's like finding what what's relevant to you but yeah the more you understand your own body and what you can do your chance of success is way more and i, I think you got to do the front end work to be able to do that and i think as a as a whole, we look at golf as, oh, don't have to be athletic, don't have to just go show up, rock up and hit a few shots, and oh yeah, I'm gonna master this, but it's a little it's more not, goes into it than that. It's not that easy. I think there's a lot of people out there who are, who are working at their game or working at their golf swing, trying to do things that actually they cannot do, and they're not getting any, anywhere with it. So for the guys who are doing that, are listening to this, and they've been working at trying to get into a certain position, but it's just not happening, well, there's a clue that actually there might be something stopping them from doing that. So I think the importance of just understanding your own body there so you can not waste any time and, and, and work with what you've got, I think there's a massive, massive help. It's, it's the biggest thing, when we, when we first saw TPI, it was kind of that light bulb moment when it was like, okay, so the guy who's had three lessons with three different coaches trying to do one thing with their right arm, whatever, yeah. flying elbow, they're trying to tuck it in, whatever. And then suddenly you go, hang on a bit, okay, now you've got a, you've got a tool to find out whether they can do it. And the amount of lessons, what I would say, within the first month of doing TPI, we've been screening them and going, oh my goodness, all right, okay, so these guys, now you always felt like you had to phone people up as well and say, uh, can you come back for a lesson, please? Yeah. <laughs> I figured it out. <laughs> but Five years later. That's why, that's why we've been trying to get rid of for three years. We understand why you can't do it now. But for us, I think that the powerful thing is, and I know you guys, you know, we talked about this off air a little bit about like information and getting stuff I'm always excited when I see something that um, explains why someone can't do something or a different way to do it right and it's like oh man I want to go I want to go back and give that to that person I can use that with that student right and I think all of us do that it's a question if you're if someone's been trying to do something and they're diligent about it 
and the instructor's been telling you to do it and they've been telling you the same thing and you really have been trying to work at it and it hasn't got any better. Definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expect a different outcome. Like that's the time to be like, okay, well maybe I can't physically do this. Maybe, and, and that's where people get frustrated and that's why people leave the game. And so I, I totally echo what Andy said, like you got to find a way to understand what you can do. And don't think, and this is what I think people do, they compare themselves to like elite world-class athlete golfers that have been doing it their whole life and it, they just inherently move really well and they've played a lot of golf. You ain't going to look like that. No. It's no. not going to happen. Are you suggesting golfers are insane, by the way? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's, that's the tough part. Like, we, we all... Like if you, let's say you're a recreational runner, you don't compare yourself to Usain Bolt, do you? <laughs> but, but golfers do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's a very good point. That's, yeah. that's, I like the, that. that's the trouble. It's like, <laughs> hold on a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We've got to, we've got to peg it down a little bit. And then, and then amateur golfers, the worst thing that they do, which is, they compare the, everything that they're doing to the best shot they've ever hit. If they've hit a seven iron, 145 yards, the best shot they've ever hit. If they're 145 yards, they're pulling out seven iron, where they should probably be using a six and a half or a five iron, right? Because they're average. So, I mean, those are all the things. We, we all aspire to be great, but we just, our expectations are such that we compare ourselves to these like ridiculous like levels, and it just, it's the outcomes are gonna, you can just set yourself up for a big old you know what, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Because the more, the more we sit here and talk, and, and I think getting coaches together to talk, to talk, we could probably have another three-hour conversation and delve from in expectations, ego, and game management, and things like that. It just Absolutely. goes off on a tangent, doesn't it? And that, I think that showcases how complex of a, a game this is. There's so many components that make up a good golfer, um, and that's why it's so tricky. That's why it's so tricky. I think we should set up a monthly call, actually, with Mark. <laughs> <laughs> a monthly podcast that we do, just to keep, just to keep things going. All right, let's, 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 we, are, um, we have got a, a few other guests on today, actually, as well. So we're going to do one. We do this with everybody. You had no idea we were going to do this, so you've got very little time to do it. There's two things, actually, yeah. So the first one is we do an ultimate golfer. So who, and this can be, you can, it hasn't got to be someone who's just on tour now. It can be anybody, the ultimate golfer, driver, iron player, short game, putting. And you can throw another discipline in if you want to. So the ultimate, ultimate like, golfer. So whoever it could be, different, who, uh, different different, a different person. One. Oh, okay, sorry, different sorry, guy for each, for each one. one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So who's the best driver you've ever seen or you've heard about or... Oh, that's Dead such... or alive. Dead or alive. No time, I've got no time frame, right? I can limp... No time frame. Okay. Best driver I've ever seen... Before he got injured at Augusta, Dustin Johnson. Straightest... Some of the stuff I've seen him do, he'd never miss it. Unbelievable. Brooks Kepka might rival him now, but like in person watching him just pick it out and absolutely smash it. Dustin Johnson for sure. Best iron player, long iron and mid iron player, Tiger Woods without a doubt. Different league, like the best, like not even close. Best wedge player I've ever seen. Oh man, this is. Oh. Luke Donald's a special wedge player. Um, Looks like a pretty good golfer so far, isn't it? Um, Tom Kite is a pretty good wedge player too. So like, it's the, those two are pretty good. Got to pick So I'm probably going to go. I'll. Um, Luke Donald got to number one in the world. He's a great wedge player. I'm going with Luke Donald, and he's English, and I like Luke. So I'll, I'm going with the. Uh, 
Luke Donald. And um, putting. Do I, can I add short game in there or Who's not? Can, yeah, yeah, you can, you can name some more. Seve. Name some more. Seve. Of course, yes. Putting. Best putter ever. Jesus. This is a tough one. <laughs> I was going to say Jordan Spieth, but even at his heyday, he was great. Not so good on the short ones. Who's the best putter ever? Faxon's pretty good. Um, probably Jack Nicholas. It's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to argue against that, though, isn't it? To be fair, really. <laughs> He's obviously held a few puts in his life. So yeah, I mean, and I think that like if you could go back, like some people, I might you might go with if you went on age on an era. Hogan obviously drove it unbelievable. I never see, saw Hogan hit a golf ball, but I have watched the players I've coached drive it unbelievable. I have coached, like really great drivers of the golf ball. Used to work with Kevin Chappell, one of the best drivers of the golf ball I've ever seen. As, good, as much as I love Chappie and as good as he is, Dustin Johnson is a different league. And so that's the, like seeing that and what, just how far it goes and how straight it was going. It, he hasn't driven it as straight laterally since he messed his back up at Augusta, but he used to, you know, watching it was something else. I mean, I was like, seriously, and the control was unbelievable. So, you know, different eras, different ages. I mean, Nicholas was a great driver of the ball, but from what I see now, Dustin Johnson's amazing. Brilliant. Right, to finish on then, um, I don't know whether you've got one, but we always finish on a quote. Have you got a favourite quote that you live your life by or that you coach by or anything that you like? Um, I would say, um, what would be a good one? I mean, I'm more of the belief of like slow, steady, sustained perseverance, like just keep on keeping on. No, I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely more on the like, you can, you can achieve a lot with hard work, just yeah. outwork people. And that's, that's my mindset was been, I've never been the great, most gifted person, but I will outwork you. Yeah. So like hard work, effort, like that's, there's no substitute for that. That would be my uh, work your ass off, basically. Yeah. Work hard and play hard. There we go. Mark, thanks very much for your time. Anytime. Always good to see you. And I'm sure we'll do some more yeah. stuff in the future. Absolutely. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast, guys. Make sure you check it. Where can people follow you, actually, Mark? Uh, Blackburngolf.com is our website. And then at BlackburnGolf on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Make sure you go and check that out, guys. Please, Please do. do. Thank you.